0: Lord God, I thank you so much for this day, Heavenly Father, and I thank you for just the time to come into your house, Lord, and worship you, Heavenly Father. God, we are so excited to hear your word today. Um, We pray for Luke, God, as you are using him as your mouthpiece today. Lord, we do pray, God, that you just have your hand on him and give him the words to speak. Lord, we're so excited to hear even more about your Holy Spirit that you've given to us, Heavenly Father God, and the the day that you gave him, Lord. and um, God, we are just so excited, Lord, to hear about the church and the way it began and, and the beginning of, of uh, just of all of this, Lord, that we get to participate in. Heavenly Father, we, we get to come and worship you, Jesus. God, I thank you for the safety of uh, a country, Lord, that we're able to come and freely worship you, Lord. We do pray for Claudia. We pray for uh, everything going on right now uh, at the orphanage, Lord, and, and with the ability to adopt God. We pray, Lord, that you will um, allow the adoption processes to go smoothly and easily, God. Uh, we pray for all of the needs that Claudia has, Lord, the, the new car uh, for healing, Lord, over the people who've been sick, God. And Lord, we pray that as a church family, God, we lift them up. And uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for um, the ability for us to be your hands and feet, God, and that people like Claudia, Lord, she's, all, she's over in Uganda, God. And, we feel like sometimes they're the only ones who can spread your gospel, Lord. But no, Lord, we are your hands and feet. Lord, help us to remember that, God, that we are your ambassadors here on earth, God. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for being in this building right now, Lord. Thank you for allowing us in your presence, God. We love you so much. We thank you so much. In Christ's holy and precious name we pray.
1: Amen. Amen. Thanks, Paul. Thanks. Sarah. Good morning, church. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, where we're going to be. Acts chapter 2. Some of you are suffering from sugar comas this morning. I get it, okay? Um, Some of you ate too many of those pumpkin Reese's. I hear those are pretty good, right? Anybody can testify to that? Yeah. Uh, Michael Trest and Don Trest last night during trick-or-treating dressed up like like tired parents, so I thought that was pretty good, yeah? I asked Michael, I said, next year you can, uh, bro, you can just you know borrow a, a little makeup and put something out. He's like, bro, I already have bags. Don't, don't talk about it too much. But anyway, happy Reformation Day. I don't know if you know this. 504 years ago, Martin Luther walked up to a door and he said, the door looks fine. We're just here to fix theology. And out of that, I don't know if you know this, uh, that's what really sparked the Protestant Reformation, but I was um, I was watching uh, just a second ago, Jeremy went and served me and got uh, our our platform, our pulpit, and he put it right here. And if you don't know, um, one of the the things that the Protestant Reformation brought about, and, and John actually I think preached on this last year um, one time, was that in in some churches the pulpit was off to the side and it was up high. And one of the things spiritually and I think physically that churches started to do as a result of the Protestant Reformation was bring the pulpit right in the middle because upon the pulpit rests the Word of God. Amen and that this right here is what guides us is how god reveals himself to us this is why uh, we read scripture publicly before we expound upon it uh, because this is it this is god's revelation to us we don't worship the bible but the bible teaches us how to view god rightly so that we may worship him rightly in spirit, and in truth. Acts chapter 2. It's going to be fun this morning, y'all, just reading the through the text. We, we got mighty Russian wind. We got divided tongues of fire. We got tongues. We got filled with the Holy Spirit. That's right. That's good. See, already excited about it. Filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be a, a good day. We finally got through chapter 1. Only took us, uh, this is the last day of October, but we got through chapter 1. And what have we been learning through the book of Acts? We have been learning that Jesus went up and this morning we'll see that the Spirit came down so that the church might go out. Jesus ascended, the Spirit descended so that the church might be commissioned outward. I've had this in my notes probably uh, every time I've preached out of Acts to you guys, but I haven't read it, and some of you small group leaders have uh, have seen it in the notes and kind of were wondering when I was going to get to it. But in the first century, there was a, a church father, named, or the second century, named Justin Martyr, and this is what he said. And this is pretty cool because... We didn't come up with the arrows. I think Justin Martyr does here. Listen to what he says. And afterward, when Jesus had risen from the dead and appeared to them, that's his apostles, he taught them to read the prophecies in which all these things were foretold as coming to pass. And when they had seen him ascending into heaven and had believed and had received power sent by him upon them, they went To every race of men, they taught these things, and they were called apostles. Dude, in 155 AD, what do we have? Up, down, out. And I love that because that's the way that the book of Acts unfolds. And what I love there was is something that Justin taught us very early on when we read the book of Acts, that Jesus was connecting the dots of the Old Testament to present reality. That you could go to the Old Testament, well, we'd find out, in reality, the Old Testament is all about Jesus. And they were watching these things that had been foretold many, many centuries before as reality and fulfillment in their life. We find that this morning in Acts chapter 2, and what I want to do is just kind of give you a, a few questions. They won't be on the screen, but just a few questions for us to think about as we read this text. As I was reading it and studying it, some questions came up to me. First and foremost, the day of Pentecost. What is that? When is it? What's the big deal? Because when we hear the word Pentecost, I assure you that wheat harvest doesn't come to your mind first, right? When we hear the word Pentecost, our minds really as Americans and as Westerners don't go to where perhaps Luke's mind went and these first believers went. Another question this morning, what was the sound like a mighty rushing wind? What's the big deal with that? What is a divided tongue of fire? What are divided tongues of fire? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, this is the fun one. What does it mean they begin to speak in other tongues? We're going to look at all that this morning, and, and I hope that you will see oftentimes where we put the emphasis in those things is not where the Scripture puts the emphasis on those things. And you're going to see this morning where we land at the end, that the book of Acts, particularly in this text, is emphasizing the fact that Jesus has called his people to go to the very ends of the earth to proclaim who he is and what he's done. That is the point. Acts chapter 2, Paul read it for us. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Let's define a few things before we jump off. It says, they, who's the they? Justin walked through us last week. We go back to chapter 1 and verse 15, and it says that Peter stood up among the brothers. There was about 120, we find out. And it wasn't just brothers in the masculine sense. This was a term that referred to the early church, and so we, we know that Mary was there, the mother of Jesus. There were also women that had followed Jesus. So when we find that there's 120, you got 11 apostles plus Matthias now, so you got 12 apostles. But then you got 108 other people, men and women. So that's the they here in verse one. And then it says they were together in one place. We find in verse two they were in a house. Where is this? Some people have suggested this might be the temple because as we walk through chapter 2, you're going to see Peter preaching in the temple and a crowd assembling in the temple. It's probably best to interpret this as the house, the upper room, where they were gathering, where they cast lots to select Matthias, where Peter stood up and addressed them, where they were praying. Now, now get the timeline real quick, what, what's going on here. This is important. So Jesus died. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Forty days later, he went up and ascended. And for 10 days, as we approach chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, 10 days later, so 10 days after the ascension, that's what day we are. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. The text is telling us that 10 days after the ascension, as they had been doing, Matthias has just been selected, but they wake up, they gather together, and they are joined all together. That's pretty good. Isn't that kind of just speak to the fact that if we ever want God to move in our midst, we have to be all together? And in a lot of ways, doctrinally, believe the truth. Not our opinion. Together, corporately, in unity, relationally, that we love each other and we care for each other, that we're not harboring bitterness. And, and I liked what Justin said last week. They had to deal with the elephant in the room. Many people today want Pentecost, but they don't want to deal with bitterness or resentment or grudges or sin in their life. They want the Spirit to work in their life. What do we see? The pathway to Pentecost was, what did they have to do? They had to to select another apostle. And as Justin suggested last week, the elephant in the room was Judas. And perhaps through those days of prayer, the Lord had dealt with remaining issues in their life because of the Judas episode and because of his Betrayal. But we find ourselves 10 days after ascension, here we are. Now, when we read this text, many times we'll go to verse 2, mighty rushing wind, we'll go to tongues of fire, we'll go to the tongues, we'll go to the Holy Spirit, and we miss verse 1. And that's where I want us to start this morning. I want you to see, first and foremost in this text, the day of Pentecost. The, 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 The day of Pentecost. That is so important because Luke is the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. So he's a dude, he didn't grow up wearing his yarmulke. He didn't grow up sitting in the synagogue. He was a Gentile believer in Christ. And for Luke to point out a Jewish term here is a big stinking deal. Now for Luke to point out that it's Pentecost, he's not thinking about a charismatic movement that started in 1901 at Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California. He's not thinking of different denominations that would identify themselves as Pentecostal. He's not thinking of a a type of worship service or music or emotional. He is simply saying that it is a day called Pentecost that has arrived. Now, why is that important? Man, it blew my mind this week to say, man, this is so... I, I could get it if it was being brought out by a Jewish writer, but for the only Gentile writer in the New Testament to point out the day that this is happening like we need to catch that. Why was the day of Pentecost such a big deal? Three reasons. First, of the Jewish significance of this day. Now, I'm asking you, American Gentile, one time in New Orleans, Louisiana, because of a uh, worship leadership class, I had to go and experience different services of different religions. So Lauren and I lived on a street in uptown called Palmer Avenue at the end of it, the one end of it is really Ritzy, the other end of it is like two-lane Students, we lived on that end. And at the end of, uh, at, the, at the Ritzy end, there was a synagogue, and it was a reformed synagogue, so they were liberal, and that day the, the rabbi said, we don't need a new covenant, and I just sat there and was nice, but I walked in there, and I forgot to put on my yarmulke, and I'm the Gentile entering the synagogue, and somebody really tapped me on the shoulder and said, go back, so I had to put my little yarmulke on, Right you, you, you got to put this on as an American Westerner. You've you got to see the Jewish significance here. We think one way, this is what they're thinking. The Jewish significance was that this feast, this was a feast, a celebration, seven the Jews had throughout the year. If you go to Leviticus 23, you'll find seven different feasts. Passover, first fruits, unleavened bread, What this one would be called is weeks, the festival or the Feast of Weeks. Then you had a summer break in the fall. You had the Feast of Trumpets. You had Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And then you had the the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. So this is a spring feast. Obviously, we're 40, 50 days removed from Passover. Now, let's see what it says. Go to Leviticus. This will be on the board for you. Leviticus 23 the Lord says, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. Time out. So that you know what Sabbath that is, Passover would take place in the Old Testament, and then they would have a Sabbath. And then after that Sabbath, check this out, they would have a festival called First Fruits. And what First Fruits was, it was a way to celebrate the first part of the barley harvest coming in. So what follows up to this our text, you got one feast, Passover, where they kill a lamb, and then a few days later, you have a first fruits, and then you count what? Seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Underline that word 50. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring it from your dwelling places, two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephaph, it is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. So in the Old Testament, the Jews were told every year, seven full weeks after Passover and first fruits to celebrate. And they called it the Feast of Weeks because it was seven full weeks. They would celebrate this. Check this out. This Sabbath... They count 49 days, and then they add the extra day. And on the 50th day, guess what they do? They celebrate this feast. So this feast had Jewish significance. So when we read Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Pentecost literally means for the Jews, all right, the the day every year where we celebrate the fact that seven weeks ago, God gave us one harvest of barley, and now, seven weeks later, another harvest has come, the wheat harvest. So they're thinking agriculture here, y'all. we got to erase something in our minds a few times, right? Now, what's amazing about this also, Pentecost is literally from the Greek, and it means 50th. So that's where it comes from. So they're gathered, and what's in their mind is we are 50 days removed from first fruits. 52, 53 days removed from Passover. So Jewish significance. There's also a historical significance to this day. The day of Pentecost, in the first century and at New Testament times, this is pretty wild, the Feast of Weeks was traditionally held, or the day of Pentecost was historically held by the Jews to be the day that Moses went up on the mountain and received the word, the Torah, the law from God himself. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. Exodus chapter 19. Be on the screen for you. Verse 16 through 20. So they've come out of Egypt. The Bible says in Exodus 1, on the third full moon. So about 44, 45 days later, they come to the wilderness of Sinai. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the, word had, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai. Y'all see where this is going. This is good, huh? To the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. 1,200 years later, 1400 years later, depending on your dating of the Exodus, the Jews were saying, all right, the day that that happened to Moses is the day of Pentecost. And it was a day of celebration because guess what God did? God came down and God gave his word to his man, Moses, and then through Moses gave his word to his people. And so when the day of Pentecost arrives here in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, again, where are their minds probably going? Not just to the fact of a celebration of the wheat harvest, but Exodus chapter 19, to give you a little hint, where there was fire and noise and a voice, and God gave his word. See that? Like we as Americans, like we don't go there default, Right? But that's where their mind was. It was a historical significance. It was the day celebrating that Moses went on the mountain and received the law of God. But there's also a prophetic significance to this. Justin will walk us through the rest of chapter 2 in the coming weeks, and he will mention the fact and point where Peter, in what follows in chapter 2, Peter says, hey, Joel chapter 2, this is that. You want to know what Joel was talking about? Here it is, that I'll pour my spirit out on people. But there's another passage in Jeremiah 31. There was a prophecy that God was going to make a new covenant. Here it is, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law... Where? Within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. Flower, forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Now check this out. What had Jesus been doing for 40 days before ascension? Everything in the Old Testament is about me. What's in the law of Moses? It's about me. What's in the Psalms? It's about me. What's in the prophets? It's about me. And so here's my question this morning. I don't want to read into the text. I just want to read it for what it is. But they had understood that Passover was all about the Lamb of God dying in their place. Connect that dot, right? And they had connected dot that he was the first fruits. He was the first to rise from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, guess what? We will too. I wonder if this Phrase, when the day of Pentecost arrives, they were all together in one place. They were all together in expectation. Something might go down today. And somehow it's going to be connected to Moses going on the mountain and the law being given and the new covenant. What is going to happen? We don't know, but we ain't going to miss it. We're going to be there. You see how this is like crazy? Amazing? When you start The rest of the passage, understanding the Jewish thought and what was going through their mind that day. Because if that's the case, what reads and follows that we get a little nervous about, let's be honest. It can't come out that way. We have to ask ourselves, what was God intending by allowing this event to happen on this day to these people who were of this religion, who had the Old Testament, who had the Old Covenant? What is God doing on this canvas, on this backdrop? So we see real quick, real quick, that perhaps dots were connecting because Jesus had opened their eyes to Old Testament truth. And I believe when Luke says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, he is saying a day that was prophesied, a day that had extraordinary significance in their hearts as God's people, the Jews, but a, a day that was fresh on their minds about, this is the day that Moses went up and God came down and the law was given. Here it is. So we see the day of Pentecost. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see the signs of Pentecost. This is where it gets fun. Suddenly, verse 2, there came from heaven. Isn't that good? Suddenly, in God's own time. You You can't cook it up. You can't bring it down. You can't follow a formula. You just wait, right? Suddenly. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Something is happening, obviously. But a few different things are happening. They can hear something. They can see something. And then they can hear and see something together. What is it? First, it says here that there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Notice it doesn't say that they felt anything. It says that there was a sound, not of a rushing wind, but it was a sound like a rushing wind. Just so you know, doing some word study this week, a commentator brought this out, that this word, sound, Luke uses it a few different times in in Luke chapter 4, verse 37, he talks about like, the, like people speaking rumors, you know, kind of like a rustling of voices, kind of like a, a murmuring of collected voices together. He also uses it in Luke chapter 21 for the noise of the sea, the waves. And so it's the exact same word. He So, so it's a very unique sound, and that's why the word like is there, because you can't really pin it on exactly what it sounded like, but there was a sound. And it was a unique sound. And it was a sound that obviously got their attention. Now, can I tell you that because we know the end of this story, we see in verse 4 real quick that it's the Holy Spirit filling them. So we know what's happening. The Spirit is coming down, particularly because the Spirit of God is used, or or the the metaphor of wind is is used to describe the Spirit in, in a way. If you remember Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel has a, vision of a valley of dry bones and they're dead and god says to him he says prophesy to these and then he says prophesy to the wind and call the wind and the, and the, the bible says that these these i don't want to do that kid song but yeah the thigh bone collected to the leg bone the leg bone connect, yeah any, all that and they stood up but the bible says there was no breath in them so he prophesied to the wind and the wind came and it filled them and they became an exceedingly great army and it's a picture of regeneration. It's a picture that we in of ourselves, even in our religion, we are dead in our sins until we are given the life of God by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, in his same conversa- in his conversation with Nicodemus, uses the same metaphor, doesn't he? You must be born again if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, the wind blows where it wishes. You can't see where it comes from. You can't see where it goes. And then he says this, so it is of everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so wind in Scripture is used of the Spirit, particularly of the Spirit working in the lives of people. So we have a sound like a wind. Secondly, we have this sign was tongues or divided tongues as a fire. So the first sign was audible, something we hear. The second sound here is something that we see. It is divided tongues as a fire of fire, and I'll get to this in just a moment, but it's almost as if fire, something like fire appeared to them, and then as it came upon them, it began to spread out and divide upon each of them. Now, it helps us a lot, doesn't it, when we read Acts and we find out that Luke like, interviewed multiple people before he wrote this book, right? Do so you know what's amazing? Luke probably interviewed people that were there in the upper room. Getting what they saw and what they experienced. Yeah, man. We didn't know what it was. It sounded like wind, though. And, and bro, your mind's going to be blown on this. I know you've been hanging out with Paul, so you've seen some stuff, Luke. But check this out. Like fire came down. Like what? Like fire came down. And then it kind of like split up and was sitting on all of us. That's what the text says. It said it appeared to them and rested on each Of them. We know in the scripture, fire always was a symbol of the divine presence, right? When Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden of Eden, what stood there to block the entrance back into the garden? It was a cherubim, but he had a flaming sword of fire. When the Lord appeared to Moses in the desert, in the wilderness, what happened? It was a burning bush, but although the bush was on fire, it wasn't burned up, right? It was, as one man has said, it was a self-sustaining fire. It wasn't brought about by anyone. It was its own existence. And it's what happens when, when Moses approaches, take your shoes off, the voice says, because the place where you're standing is holy. And God reveals his holy name. I am who I am. He reveals it there. And then when the tabernacle When God dwelt among his people, if any kid got scared during the night or had a nightmare or was unsettled, all they had to do was crack open their tent and they saw the pillar of fire hovering above the tabernacle and they could go back to sleep because God was in their midst. Fire always marked the divine presence. So we have a wind here which is used in the Scripture to speak of the Spirit. We have fire here, which is used to speak of the Spirit. But then we have what it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we have a, an audible sign. We, they hear something. They have a visible sign, fire coming down. But then they have both. One guy's looking at the next guy, and he's talking. And I'm seeing lips move, and I'm hearing language. Now, it helps us here to know specific words, because can I tell you this? When people use Bible words sometimes, they don't understand in their minds the exact same thought. And th- this happens not just within the family. This happens outside the family, like a cult, like, like, like the Mormons or Jehovah Witness. Like, they use the word grace, or they use the word Jesus, and guess what? It ain't, it ain't grace of Scripture, <laughs> and it ain't Jesus of the Scripture. And that's why it's important. What I'm getting at is, when you use words, make sure you define those words. This is the first usage of the word tongues in the New Testament in this way. Now, I don't have to stop here and go off and talk about the gift of tongues, because this text is not talking about the gift of tongues. That's a whole other day, and we can go eat barbecue five days in a row and might begin to walk through that, okay? But that's not what this is. And how do I know that? Because if you notice the end of verse 4, it says, they were speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them, what? Utterance. Luke uses this word three times. This is why I was harping on words. Luke uses it here. He uses it in chapter 2, verse 14, where it says that Peter addressed the crowd, uttered words to the crowd, but then it's also used in Acts chapter 26, verse 25. Paul, now this, is, this is awesome. Paul's standing before, giving defense of who he is, and he says, I am speaking, uttering true and rational words to you. He says then, I am not speaking to you as a madman. Used in those, that verse was two Greek words. One, utter here, speaks of speaking with understanding, with rationality, with truthfulness. The other word that Paul says, I'm not using that, is to be contrasted. It means, literally in the Greek, to babble like a crazy person. You feel me? This, Acts chapter 2, verse 4, It's not speaking about somebody running around like a wild banshee doing G.I. Joe rolls, yelling, hollering about how they want to tie a bow tie or ride in a Honda. Okay? That's not what's happening. You don't know if uh, she came in a Honda, she came in a Honda, she came in a Honda, Honda, see me tie my bow tie, watch me tie my bow tie. You you get what I'm saying, right? It's not what's happening. There is a place for the gift of tongues because it's in scripture, but it's not see me tie my bow tie, watch me tie my bow tie, she came in a Honda. It's not that. It's not that. Now we can talk about what 1 Corinthians is talking about, that when you pray and you pray in mysteries, and, but Paul gives a disclaimer there. He says that when the gift of tongues is exercised in local church, you better have an interpreter because if you don't, guess what? It doesn't do anybody any good. So guess what? We follow Scripture even when that gift is exercised. But it's not talking about that here. You know what's happening? Man, this is so good. These are known languages. These languages were known, they were heard, but most importantly, y'all, they were understood languages. And how do I know that? Because when you start reading, at Pentecost, all these Jews would travel. This is one of the three pilgrim feasts where they would come from wherever they lived and they would come and they would gather at Jerusalem. They They were commanded to do that. And so you had Jews from all different parts of life. We'll find them in the passage next week: Parthians and Medes and people of Mesopotamia, and they all spoke different languages. And what's happening is, Peter's never, Peter's never taken a Rosetta Stone in the language of the Elamites, but the Spirit enables them, and someone starts. Speaking, and guess what? A different language comes out. Not a language that nobody understands, but a language that somebody understands. A language that somebody hears. A language that someone understands. The, the Greek word literally means dialect or, or heart language. And what a miracle this is. I've seen this two times in my life, not specifically like to the T as this, but this first. First event, John was there, Ryan was there, Michael Tress was there. We were in Honduras on a mission trip, and we were in a worship service. Shauna was there. Yeah, where John is, Shauna is. And that's the way it used to be, y'all. Anyway, um, <laughs> joke, love you. All right, we're glad you're back, John. We are. But we were in a worship service, and there was uh, a student in our student ministry. She was there, and she I remember where she was sitting. She was, she was sitting up against the wall. And the pastor preached in Spanish and there wasn't a translation. So like, you know, I was like a, I was a lost, prideful ADHD seventh grader. So I didn't get anything out of it. If it had not been in English, so I wouldn't have. But this girl comes to us at the end of share time. And she says, I understood what he said. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah right. And then we got somebody that heard the message in Spanish. And guess what? We, we found out that the Holy Spirit had supernaturally translated the message into her heart. She understood it. I was in Delhi hanging out in a slum full of snake charmers. I take you all to see the snake charmers? Do we, we remember that? I'm not sure. We went to different slums, but this was a, another slum. Blake, you did. You were Okay, good. So we, we did go to the snake charmers. And I'm sitting there... Um, this was at another time I was with a pastor, and we were sharing the gospel with these snake charmers and uh, poor people living huts and bamboo and, and tarps. That's their house. And we've been going with them for uh, going to share with them for a while and loving on them and doing acts of mercy and charity to them. And so I, I was, remember I was sitting on the ground, they were in front of me, they knew me. We had been with each other a lot, but it was just me and an Indian pastor. So we were sharing the gospel, loving on them, hanging out with them. And so at the end, when we we're getting ready to leave, I said, Hey, let me pray, let me pray for them. I said, don't translate it into Hindi. It'll be awkward. I'll say, dear Lord, then you got to translate that, and it'll be back and forth. It'll be weird. Don't do that. I'll just pray. So I started praying, and when I started praying, like God broke me over them, I started crying. So, you know, they aren't Christians, so they don't know to bow your head and close your eyes. So they're probably staring at me saying, this large American is crying. Why is he doing that, you know? (laughs) And I began to pray, and God began to break my heart over them, and I began to pray John 17, 3. Lord, would you show them that you are the true God and that you sent Jesus Christ into the world? And when I got, I didn't pray very long. When I got finished, it was an old snake charmer. He's passed away now, but I saw him every time I went. He's sitting over here and he starts speaking to the pastor beside me. And they're speaking in Hindi back and forth because that's the language they speak in. So the pastor turns to me and he says, "Uh, he heard what you prayed. And I'm like, yeah, he heard what I prayed. It was nonsense to him. It was in English. He's like, no, he understood what you prayed. I was like, no, he didn't. He's like, yeah, he did. I was like, what did I pray? And So they start talking and he said, you were asking God to give us wisdom and knowledge to know who God really is. And what had happened in that moment? I'd prayed in English. And the Holy Spirit had translated it. This is a supernatural miracle, but let me tell you, because the emphasis in our day when we talk about tongues is it's a miracle of speaking. The, the, the miracle here is that the, the, the not a miracle of speaking, it was or beyond that, it was a miracle of hearing and it was a miracle of understanding. Because that's the purpose. If you can speak in the language of Elamites, but nobody hears it, what's the point, right? Speaking to one of my mentors this week, and we were walking through the Greek here together, uh, and, and he said, hey, you need, to, you need to pin all your hope on this one Greek word. And what it is, it's later on, we find it in our own tongues, and in, in literally in our own dialects. And he made a statement to me. And this is what he, he said. What was happening was these men were speaking, and these women were speaking. And God began to translate and supernaturally give them the ability to speak so that it came in their heart language. Now, this is what he said, and I thought this was awesome. He said, brother, there is a language that the Holy Spirit alone can speak to the human heart. And if you're in Christ, you've heard that language. You were dead in your sin, and the mighty deeds of God were proclaimed to your heart, and God spoke it directly to your heart, and God called you from your grave, and you were born again. Sometimes it is in the fallacy, I think a lot of times it is in the, the, the fallacy and the mistakes that we make and, and how we try to expound the Word of God. And we, we try, as, as you go out through the week, to try to be a witness for Christ. It is through our bumbling and our mumbling and that, that the Holy Spirit speaks that heart language. What is the point of speaking in tongues if nobody understands? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So what was happening that day was supernatural, but it was known. And it was for the purpose of understanding so that, as we'll see next week, they could hear in their own language the mighty deeds of God. And when you look at these signs of Pentecost, you know what you see? On the day of Pentecost, you see fire, you see sounds, and you see a voice. In Exodus 19, you know what you see? When the law was given... Fire, <laughs> sound, and a voice. And Mount Sinai, in Exodus 19, the old covenant and the law was given. But on Pentecost, the new covenant and the word of God was given, not on the tablets of stone, but written on the human heart. This is the purpose. That God comes down, and when God comes down, he doesn't just hand us a tablet. He himself comes to live inside of us and writes on our heart his word. This is what Jesus said. When he has come, he will bring to your remembrance all that I've spoken to you. Because when he comes in me, he brings the word of God to me. And as I put the word of God into me, the Spirit is teaching me throughout the week. He's bringing to remembrance. What? What Christ said, because the word has been written on my heart. What I love about this is that we find out that the Spirit and the Word were now in these people forever. It's indistinguishable. This is why it's such a big deal, because God is announcing that in His Son there is a new covenant. And you don't have to go up to a mountain anymore. God comes down to you. God lives in you, and it's by grace. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. It is by grace through faith alone. And let me just mention this because this, this, the connections are so awesome. Did you notice in the Exodus passage, Moses goes up, so there is uh, ascension? <laughs> and then when he comes back down the mountain, there is a descension. And when he comes back down the mountain, what does he bring? He brings the word. He brings tablets. And, oh, by the way, the people were in idolatry, so he smashed them, and 3,000 people died that day, Right? But here, Jesus goes up, the Spirit comes down, he writes the word on our heart, and 3,000 people are converted on the day of Pentecost. How awesome is that? So this day of Pentecost, God is saying, I'm doing a new thing. (laughs) It is for people to hear. All right, we got to get to this last part, the reality of Pentecost. A few thoughts about this. First, the Holy Spirit descended upon the believers. What I want you to get out of that is that God keeps his promises. I'm going to send the promise of the Father upon you. I'm going to send him. He will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. And then Jesus dies, and then he rises again, and 40 days he teaches them, and he says, hey, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You're going to be baptized. The promise will come upon you. And for 10 days they waited, and at the end of 10 days, you know what they found out? Our God is a promise keeper. He keeps his promises and the trinity's involved in this because jesus said he was going to go ask the father and the father was going to give the helper but then in peter's sermon in acts chapter 2 he actually says that it was jesus who poured that out that's just a picture saying that father and son in tandem together in unity pour out the spirit on the believers sinai marked the old covenant but pentecost marks the new covenant Because God is marking his people, not with tablets of stone, but a spirit inside of them. But I think it's important to bring this up also, that the spirit descended upon each believer. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So it was almost as if the fire appeared, and then as the fire was in their midst, the fire divided and separated and came to rest on each one of them. On Peter, yes, but on one of the 108 that we don't even know their name. Isn't that good? This is what I wrote in my notes. The Holy Spirit descending upon each believer shows us that each member of the body is valuable. Each child of God is loved. Each Christian is chosen. Each believer is someone that Christ died for. Each has a share. Each has the spirit inside of them that in Christ there is no male or female or barbarian or Scythian, but Christ is all and in all. We all have a place at the table. Amen? And like Justin reminded us last week, never hear about most of these people ever again. (laughs) But you know what? They had the same spirit inside of them that the apostles had. So he descended upon each believer. Each believer this morning, don't feel that because you are where you are that you are less valuable to God. The same love that was bestowed on every Christian throughout the centuries has been bestowed on you. You have an equal table. But then we find that the Holy Spirit filled each believer. I, I need to take just a moment and distinguish a few things to you here. We're told of two works that the Spirit does in our life. Now, you've heard some of this from when we preached in May about the Holy Spirit. And, but we need to understand going forward, if you'll go back to chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus makes a prophecy and he says, John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what is happening here? Because in John chapter 20, on resurrection day, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come on people, and then he would come off people, he would empower people. But even between (laughs) the resurrection and Pentecost, you still see Peter bumbling around, stumbling around, can't catch fish, right? (laughs) You see these guys coming and going. So even though they have a measure of the Spirit in some way, it's not Pentecost. But not this day. Something happened that changed their lives forever. And they are very unique because they lived on both sides of the cross. They lived on both sides of Pentecost. So we have to read that here. And we have to understand that here. So, so let me give you these distinctions. There is first what we call baptism in the Spirit. Some people use it as with the Spirit. And that's what Jesus was talking about in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. And what it means, what baptism is, baptism is an identification. We celebrated a few weeks ago, amen? And we're identified with Christ, identified in his death, identified in his burial, identified with his resurrection. The baptism in the Spirit happens one time, it happens at conversion, and it happens to every child of God. How do I know that? Here's a verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, he's writing to Gentiles. That gives us hope this morning, right? If you were born again, when you were converted, you were identified in the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. You're a Christian. Why? Because you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they were baptized in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. But the word he uses specifically here is they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Why does he use that? Why does he use that word? Because check this out. There's one baptism, but there's many fillings. To, to be baptized with the Spirit is to be filled with the Spirit. But you're only baptize in the Spirit once. You're identified. That that's why if we're saved, we're saved forever. Praise God, right? You don't find them being baptized in the Spirit again, but you do find all throughout the book of Acts them being filled with the Spirit. For instance... I'm just going to rattle these off. Hit me up later if you want them 2 four, four, eight, four, 31 6, three, six five, nine, 17, 13 9 13 52 11 2-4, 4-8, 4-31, 6-3, 6-5, 9-17, 13-9, 13-52, 11-24, and a few more. What you find in the book of Acts is that because they had the Spirit inside of them, they were continually being filled with the Spirit. Being filled is not like an empty glass with water in it. It's more like a, a, an empty glove that a hand comes inside. They were controlled. So they were not only identified with the spirit here, they were controlled by the spirit. And I'm so thankful that throughout the books of book of Acts, they were continually filled because there's some mornings that I don't want to be a Christian, right? And I got to come back to the Lord early in the morning because you live in me. Please, please control me. I surrender myself afresh and anew to you today. I'm filled with the spirit. So don't let that confuse you. The reason the word filled is used here is that the evidence of baptism is to be filled. Because He indwells in you, you surrender control to Him. And the mark of this is that they started doing ministry, right? The first mark of being filled with the Spirit is that they started proclaiming the truth about Jesus. That's where I want us to end this morning. The church... Their ministry began with the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is where the church takes off. (laughs) They start meeting in houses. They start hanging out with each other. They start rocking a city called Jerusalem, and they forgot they needed to branch out, so God actually had to bring persecution. But then you start seeing them going out, reaching people. And it was all because... God was fulfilling his plan. God was fulfilling what he had promised in the Old Testament. But God was doing something greater. He wasn't just giving you words on a page or words on a tablet to follow, He was bringing Himself inside of you to teach you what was written on the pages, to sanctify you, to conform you to what's written on the pages. So that your life just wouldn't be some external adherence to a rule. Your life would be transformed by an inward presence, and it would be out of a response to who he is. That's Pentecost. And what I love about seeing it in this new light, that the Spirit was empowering them to proclaim the mighty deeds of God, it tells us that the work of the Spirit in our life is not just for our personal experience and edification only. God's Spirit at work in our life is always for somebody else. That's the point. That's the point. He went up. Spirit came down. We got to go out. This morning, has he ever come to live inside of you? Do you know him? Is he working in your life? Is there evidence that God's spirit lives in you? If you don't know today, maybe all you got's got is religion. You can repent of your sin and believe the gospel, and your life can be radically transformed because of what Jesus has done. As a Christian, it might be this morning. <laughs> Last week, you, you hadn't wanted any type of hand in your glove, right? <laughs> Want to do your own thing. Maybe this morning as a believer, Lord Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit, afresh and anew. Control me. Use me this week. I'm going to pray. Let's bow before him. Lord, thank you for Scripture. For its richness, thank you that we can be taught by the Spirit. We can be taught by God Himself. Lord, I pray for believers this morning that maybe are struggling with their worth, that they'll see that every believer in that upper room had a tongue of fire upon them. Every believer now has a Spirit inside of them. Lord, I pray our worth would come from you and you alone. Lord, I'm thankful that you never call us to do something that you don't equip us to do. That in the the Spirit, we have the ability to carry out your purposes and your mission. So Lord, minister the word to our hearts this morning. Church, as we sit before the Lord, what's God saying to your heart by the Spirit through the Scripture? Just a moment, we're gonna stand and we're gonna worship Jesus. We're gonna praise Him for His sufficiency. If you need prayer or if you need to talk to someone, I'll be at the front. Justin will be at the back by by the sound booth. You'd like for us to pray with you or even counsel with you after the service about these things. We'd love to open up God's word, share truth with you. But if you need us, that's where we'll be. I'll be at the front. Justin will be at the back. Pray through these things. The Holy Spirit is the greatest gift God could ever give us. And he's with us forever. I praise God for that. Daniel, come lead us, brother, please. Let's stand and sing, y'all.